Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Hi, listeners. Thank you for joining us today on the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, where we consult experts to bring you three steps of how to win at a different job search topic every week. I'm Katie Dunn. My guest today is Danielle Pavlov, and she's going to talk to us about how to leverage uniqueness as your competitive advantage in your job search. Danielle is the Senior Diversity and Inclusion Manager at SAS, which is based here in our hometown of Cary, North Carolina. She's a thought leader and strategist in promoting and executing global workforce diversity and inclusion strategies. Danielle is extremely passionate about creating positive change advocacy, and inclusion of underrepresented groups in the workplace and in our communities. Besides having a killer job doing work that's really meaningful to her, Danielle has lots of degrees. (laughs) This is cool. Two bachelor's degrees in Spanish and French from NC State University. And she recently completed a master's in HR management from the University of Southern California. Danielle is also a certified diversity professional. Wow. Danielle, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Katie. Excited to be here. Great. So let's get to know Danielle a little bit. Danielle, tell us what was the best job you ever had and why? Well, obviously the job I have now. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love the job I'm in now, but I actually used to work for Caribou Coffee when I was growing up and I really, really loved it. Getting up at 530 in the morning, not so much, but that's where I discovered I really liked coffee. All right. What did you do there? Were you making coffee? I was. Yeah. yeah, I was a barista and then I became a shift supervisor. So first stab at leadership. Very nice. All right. Love that. So diversity and inclusion feel like kind of they were the big buzzwords in 2019, but you were interested in this and working on it long before then. So tell us how you became interested in this. Yeah, absolutely. So going along with the theme of today's podcast, I I have a really unique story about how I found the field of diversity and inclusion, or I should really say how it found me. It's kind of a long story, so I'm going to try and try and get to the point. So Katie, as you kindly shared, I do have degrees in foreign languages. So I thought naturally I would pursue a career in, in teaching, maybe even joining the Peace Corps crossed my mind a few times in college. And all of that changed, though, in my junior year when I got a job really on a whim where I was working for a staffing agency in Raleigh. And because of my language skills, I was recruiting for bilingual positions in French and English and um, English and Spanish for positions in Canada and the U.S. And I had no idea that Number one, that was even a job. I know that's naive of me to say. And number two, that I would ever even be qualified to do that. And it really opened up my eyes, though, that we live in a diverse world and conduct business all across the world. And then in my senior year of college in 2011, I applied for an internship and really many internships. And of course, I was rejected from just about all of them, (laughs) all but this one. And I ended up getting hired by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, working in HR as a project manager. 
And once again, I probably was not qualified for this internship, but ultimately I found out from my manager that it was actually because of my different background that they had selected me. And what the heck is an internship, right? I mean, if it didn't work out, they could always get rid of me. And long story short, I ended up accepting a full-time job with them upon graduation and, and worked for them for five years. And that is where I found out that DNI really was a thing. And that is where I really found out that diversity and inclusion really was its own job. And I got to work on some incredible projects that really kind of paved the path for me and led me to where I'm at today. Nice. So did you seek out your current company because of their views on diversity and inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. I had been at my previous company for five years, as I mentioned, and loving what I was doing, but there was something missing. And I wanted exposure to a new industry outside of healthcare, a global company where I could really expand on my knowledge and leverage the degrees I was obtaining. And I grew up in Cary and knew SAS as this fancy tech company I'd probably never get to work for, especially since I had no idea what they did. <laughs> That's since changed. And I, I did know that they were always ranked as one of the best places to work in the world and was told people would basically sell their left kidney to get in. <laughs> also later found out that that was not true once I started working in recruiting. So yes, I was absolutely drawn to the culture of the organization and the leadership and their commitment to inclusion and, and being a great place to work ultimately. I did a lot of research on who I would be working for, which was really important to me, the company's values, mission, and vision. And we spend a lot of time at work. So for me, it's not just about the money or the title, but it's about believing in the work I'm doing and the purpose behind it and the organization that I'm doing it for. That's really what attracted me to SAS. And that is one thing I've, I've really loved about the company, the commitment to employees and customers and our greater society. It's easy to talk about these things, but actually getting to be there and experiencing that every day is, is totally different. And it was better than I imagined. Yeah, great. That's nice. Not everybody can say that about the company they work for. So that's really great. Did you join SAS in a diversity and inclusion role on that team? Or how did how did you get into that your current role there? Yeah, well, actually, I didn't. I ended up getting hired in a recruiting position. And what's also funny about that is like every job I've had up to this point, I also wasn't really qualified for that job either. And I started in university recruiting. And really why they hired me for that was not because I had experience in university recruiting, was because of the perspective I brought on diversity and wanting to, as we thought about starting to hire recent graduates and kind of building that next generation of leaders, wanting to make sure that there was diverse representation and kind of building that bench from the get-go. Because of the diversity and inclusion experience I had, I brought that perspective to the team. And ultimately, the job just kept growing and growing and started to take on more diversity projects and initiatives. And it turned into a full-time job. And so I'd have to say, it's become my dream job. Mm -hmm. That's great. So let's talk about diversity because it feels like the definition of diversity has really expanded recently. And it used to refer to, I think, mostly just racial diversity. But now we talk about it in terms of gender diversity, neurodiversity, 
lots of other things. So how have you seen this evolve? You've been right there as this is all changing. Yeah, absolutely. And in my opinion, I don't think the definition has changed or expanded per se. I think the realization of the scope of diversity has really been brought to the forefront more than in the past. And I think that's why we think it's really changed, but the focus, I think, has evolved. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked about what the secondary dimensions of diversity are, things like education experience, personality traits, you know, introverts, extroverts, for example. And people say, wow, I never thought of those characteristics as diversity. When I hear diversity, I think of things like race or gender. And, and this is not to undermine those primary dimensions of diversity, because we have a long way to go in those areas as well to reach equality and equity. But yeah, I'm having more fruitful discussions around diversity and inclusion and in a different lens than we've really talked about before and certainly has expanded to things like neurodiversity and sexual orientation and um, gender identity, for example, as well. Can you, let's talk about neurodiversity. Can you define that for us? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different definitions of neurodiversity out there. And, and so I can kind of talk about how the industry defines neurodiversity and how SAS defines neurodiversity. So typically when referring to neurodiversity, it's pretty much neurodivergent from what is neurotypical. And so I know there's a lot of words that are thrown out there, but when the industry refers to neurodiversity, it's typically things like neurological uh, uh, disorders such as you know autism, ADHD, for example, just to name a few. But at SAS, we think about neurodiversity as a little more broad than that. And so not just about what is different than the typical brain processing, we think about it just as having a different perspective. So that's what I mean by saying neurodiversity is kind of a, a spectrum when you think about what that entails. But at SAS, when we talk about neurodiversity, we're just talking about that different perspective, not even so much about a diagnosis or any sort of like scientific perspective or scientific term. We just use it as, you know, we're all neurodiverse. We all think differently and bring different you know perspectives and ideas to the table without providing a, a label per se. Yeah, great. All right. Thank you. Because I'm hearing that term more and more. So it's it helps to have you kind of set up what that means. And interesting that SAS thinks of that a little more broadly. I didn't know that either. So that's cool. Thank you. So inclusion, let's talk about that too. I did some Googling and I came up with this definition. Inclusion means that all people have the right to be respected and appreciated as valuable members of their communities. I really like that definition. I thought that's great. Like, how can you possibly argue against that? Mm -hmm. And then looking into it as in more of a business context, I would say I found the SHRM definition. And SHRM is the Society of Human Resource Management, and that's a pretty well-known professional association. And they define inclusion like this. They define it as the achievement of a work environment in which all individuals are treated fairly and respectfully have equal access to opportunities and resources, and can contribute fully to the organization's success. And I really like that because it says more to me than just we hire people who have differences, but we are including them, we expect them to contribute, we want to create an environment where they are comfortable contributing to this organization's success. 
So I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? What do those definitions say to you? Yeah, I agree. I I like those definitions a lot. And for me, kind of how I think about diversity is is around the who. So, you know, who is represented or who is not represented, lacking representation. And inclusion is the how. So how do we create this, you know, ecosystem of inclusion and respect while also contributing at our highest potential? And so that's that's kind of the way I define diversity and inclusion. You can have all of the diversity you want in an organization and, and complete equality as it relates to representation. But that does not mean that there's equity or parity. And who is represented in leadership? Do their voices really matter? Do they have a voice? Are they valued the same, perhaps in pay or opportunity parity, for example? And that's why this is so important. It really all boils down to potential. We're failing ourselves as, as people, as an organization, and as a society when we're holding back. We live in an incredibly competitive and you know, innovation-driven world, the most diverse world we've ever known, really. You know, cultures working across borders you know, due to technology and advances that we're seeing and we can't afford to repress, discriminate people because that's leaving opportunity on the table, really. Yeah. I had a couple statistics I was going to throw out there if that's okay. One is actually from the last question I forgot about that. I think it's kind of good though, if you don't mind. I'll just say it and then if you think it makes sense. Yeah. But in talking about the dimensions of diversity, I had talked about primary and secondary dimensions of diversity There's a really great Harvard Business Review statistic that I saw that really was profound. And it's companies with two-dimensional diversity are 45% more likely to report that they had captured a larger portion of the market and 70% more likely to have entered into new markets in the past year. And I think that goes back to those, you know, defining diversity in those primary and secondary dimensions and thinking about it outside of just those characteristics that we see and really kind of peel the layers of the onion and see that there's so much more to diversity than just the what we see on the outside. Mm -hmm. So the two-dimensional diversity, meaning that they've got both the primary and the secondary diversity represented in their teams and their organization. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. So I think that's great because that is really, there's a lot of interesting data proving the business case for diversity. Absolutely. And I think we we almost had to get to the point where we had that data mm-hmm. for this to become a much bigger conversation because it's not just, oh, let's do this. This is nice. Right. It's there's We're going to get results from conducting business this way. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point where I think we've been pushing the business case for diversity for so long. And I think for the most part, especially business leaders, they get that. But the hard part is inclusion. And so when seeing these numbers around um, inclusion and the value that that provides, because again, you can have all the diversity you want, but if you can't effectively work together and then you're not going to be able to brainstorm new innovative ideas and solutions. And I think that's really where that shift is going from diversity, those primary dimensions of diversity to secondary dimensions to really, okay, that's great. But then how do we all work together and how do we leverage that to our advantage? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. I always think, if you have a team of all of these people who look alike and think alike, if your customers don't look alike and think alike, just like you do, then you're you're going to be missing some connection with them. You're not going to be able to think like they do and sort of get in their minds and 
come up with a product that's going to really satisfy a need for them. So there's just so many levels. I think this is so important. And then I also think about when I think about diversity and inclusion roles and people who work in those, I always wonder, is your ultimate goal to sort of work yourself out of a job? (laughs) Like you have done so well and been so successful in this company that the culture is so firmly rooted in let's go out and get people who have different perspectives and different abilities and different strengths that maybe these roles aren't needed anymore. I think that's probably the ultimate dream and and we're not we're we're really a long way from there, aren't we? Yeah, I'd say yes and no to a certain extent and I'd say definitely yes as a, you know, DNI practitioner. Our goal is definitely for equality and equity, right? But it doesn't just stop there. Just because your team or workforce is diverse doesn't mean the job is done. Inclusion is ultimately the hard part and where we strive to be. And as our society is changing, cultures are changing too. So there's always going to be a need to have this focus on collaboration and understanding. That's kind of the secret sauce. And I do think that the role of the you know DNI practitioner like myself has evolved tremendously. Though it used to be seen as a more tactical role, like coordinating events or hiring, like you had mentioned. And I'm really seeing that it's now shifting to a more strategic position in organizations. And that's what I love so much about my job is I've grown and matured in, in this field and learned so much about the organization by being seen as a strategic partner and really like a consultant to the business. And I like to say that DNI should be a component of all things. It's kind of you have your icing on the cake and then you sprinkle, you know, sprinkle on the the good stuff. And that's what I say diversity is, is kind of sprinkling, you know, diversity onto everything that we're doing. And it should be incorporated into all aspects of, you know, the employee life cycle and you know, functions of the business. I get tapped by folks all throughout SAS and the organization on things like getting to meet with customers, talking about what we're doing around diversity and even partnering with some of our customers on shared initiatives and strategic sourcing, training, marketing, employee engagement on all different things outside of just recruitment. Although that's also important. And, and that's my job to ensure sure we do that and, and do it in a way that's authentic to our culture and our values. And we're, we're doing this for the right reasons and in the right way. I, I sure hope I won't work myself out of a job, <laughs> but I do see the role of a diversity and inclusion manager um, or specialist to really evolve into more of a role around organizational development and how do we help the organization continue to have this lens of diversity and inclusion to just continue continue to be a, you know, a leader in our field and be innovative and, and uh, a culture where all people can thrive. Mm-hmm. That's great. Subscribe to our email list at backtobusinessconference.com for weekly job search advice. Yeah, that's a good perspective because I think I have always thought of DNI in the context of recruiting, but you point out that it's so much bigger than that and should be and needs to be, particularly the inclusion part. So that's a good distinction to make. I'm glad you said that. You're also going to talk to us today about how, as a candidate, we could leverage our uniqueness as a competitive advantage in our job search. And you have three steps for doing that. So what would you say is the first step to doing that? 
Sure. I would say the first step here is to lean into your uniqueness and and be your authentic self from the get-go. You wouldn't want to end up working somewhere that does not value you for all of you and who you really are. You don't just leave, you know, a certain identity you have at the door when you go to work. You bring all that with you. And when you're not able to express yourself and, and be yourself, then you're you're leaving opportunity on the table and you're holding your own potential back which is holding the organization back as well. And this is not only going to make you happier as an employee, but the organization benefits from you being more productive, loyal, inclusive, and innovative. And all of that translates to dollars, which is really what organizations are striving for. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we go into an interview and we're a little buttoned up and we just show sort of the nice shiny parts of us. (laughs) And we leave some of our uniqueness behind and think, well, I just got to get in the door there. And you're really suggesting to kind of have that a little more on display or be a little more open and authentic maybe during the whole interview process and as you're working to get a job and not wait until you get there and then (laughs) show your true self. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly when you're going in for a job interview, yes, you do want to present your best self, right? But you wouldn't want to show up as a totally different person than who you're going to be on day one, right? When you start the job And, and an organization should want you to be yourself because ultimately an interview is a two way street. Right. I mean, you're interviewing for a job, but you should also be interviewing the interviewer and making sure that not only are you a good fit for that company, but that they're a good fit for you. And so I think that's where really doing your research on organizations you're applying to and better understanding kind of their culture will help you to figure out like how how much should I, you know, express myself Mm -hmm. while still being professional in the interviewing environment. An example of that, that I've been asked several times before is around wearing natural hair. And if you wear natural hair, you should wear your natural hair to a job interview. And if an employer has a problem with that, then that's probably not the best employer for you because you should be able to express yourself. It does not impact your ability to effectively do your job. And if you're the best candidate for the job, an employer shouldn't care about how you wear your hair because you should be able to express yourself. That's going to make you be the best employee you can be. And that's what employers are looking for. Yeah, good. So they shouldn't care about that. But I think some job seekers are probably worried that it might count against them or they might be with an interviewer who doesn't appreciate kind of who they are and what they bring to the table. And I think that's sad, but probably is a reality of the job search today for some people. So sort of, I guess, comes down to sort of a personal decision, but but we want to encourage people to be who they are. Absolutely. And, you know, and I'm speaking on behalf of my own experiences and, and at SAS, for example, I can't speak for every company and every culture. And But I think it goes back to you spend a lot of time at work and there's a lot of companies out there that are looking for top talent and we're operating in a very digital world. And so there's honestly a talent shortage in a lot of areas and a lot of different industries and specifically in tech, for example. And it's really hard to not only recruit talent, but to retain talent. And so I think it's very much a candidate market that people have their pick of the litter for companies. And so I would say by being your authentic self, it you can kind of narrow down that list of companies that are going to accept you. That's good. 
All right. So, so you gave us some good examples of uniqueness. What if you are a candidate who is considered neurodiverse? If you are on the autism spectrum or Asperger's or ADHD, which seem to be some of the more commonly thing, more common things that fall into that neurodiverse category. How do you approach a job search or more specifically a job search through some of these new channels that have opened up to welcome candidates like this? Yeah, I think this kind of goes into step two, actually, which is around selling that value of your different perspective is you've got this different, whether it's a different identity or different experience or perspective, and it's using that to your advantage to show and sell the employer on the value that that brings. So for example, talking about neurodiversity is if I'm a candidate that has autism, I'm going to bring a unique skill set to the table. Maybe, for example, it could be keen attention to detail, being able to find small, minute differences that a neurotypical person might miss out on. And so for us at SAS, an area where we've been really successful in hiring neurodiverse job seekers and individuals is in our testing organization, because that's the job, is finding those flaws or errors or you know mistakes in, in code that you know, once it goes to market, if there's an issue, with it. We've got a real problem. So having a skill like that, like this attention to detail and problem solving and kind of different way of processing information to find these flaws in the software really is a huge advantage. And so that's what I mean by really selling that and saying, I've got this skill that I'm able to stare at code all day and be able to find these issues brings a tremendous amount of skills to the employer. It saves time and money and issues down down the long run. So I would say that's that's one advantage of neurodiversity in the workplace. Are there differences in the candidate experience or how you approach the interview process for yeah. candidates? that are neurodiverse? Yeah, it's tricky because there's, but SAS, for example, we we do consider the, the challenges that specifically autistic individuals, for example, face during the interview process. Sometimes it's things like eye contact or body language or maybe not answering the question, quote, perfectly or exactly what the um, hiring manager might be looking for, right? Because maybe you're having a harder time picking up on context clues, for example. So we really try to um, provide accommodations to make the interviewing process a lot easier. So I would say as a job seeker on the spectrum or neurodiverse, I would say if you're not sure, ask. Because more than likely companies, they're kind of giving you a template, right? And a template is not a one-size-fits-all. And so there's typically accommodations processes that you can ask the recruiters for or hiring managers for to make that process a lot easier. And again, it goes back to doing your research on the company and you're making sure that they're an inclusive and welcoming place to work. And that can kind of be a good indicator of the types of companies you want to work for and apply to. So along those lines, one thing I had read recently is that some companies that are hiring neurodiverse candidates are not doing things like phone interviews where they've got the candidate on the speakerphone and three people in a room and three people are sort of shooting out questions because it's really harder for them to sort of process all of that and respond and just that they would approach that differently than a candidate who didn't have that type of difference. 
And so companies that understand that are now altering their interview process Mm -hmm. to just be a little more friendly to how those candidates kind of approach an interview situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it goes back to this concept of universal design that organizations are considering during their interviewing and recruiting processes around, again, it's not a one size fits all approach. And historically, many employers, if not the vast majority, are using, you know, the same templates over and over again, right? Which is part of the reason why they're getting the same candidates over and over again, right? Is unintentionally discriminating and weeding out people that that process doesn't work for. So yeah, absolutely. For us, it's it's throughout creating our autism hiring program and changing our process to things like doing a video on demand interview where candidates not only have the questions for the interview in advance so they can practice and rehearse, but they can actually record themselves an unlimited amount of times and submit their best interview, right? So that's one way that we can kind of weed out the or mitigate the anxiety of I'm in this conference call. I don't know what they're going to ask me. I'm put on the spot and I can't really hear people because they're on speakerphone. So just making those simple accommodations like doing a recorded interview, really you get the same answers to the questions, but it but or sometimes maybe you don't get the same answers because people are just so overwhelmed that they kind of bomb the question, but it's just a different way of getting to that answer and being more inclusive of people have different communication styles and different preferences. And it's this new mindset has is not just working for folks on the spectrum, but it really is making it easier for everyone because interviewing is hard no matter who you are, neurodiverse, neurotypical, new to the workforce, 25 years of work experience. Interviewing can be terrible <laughs> and terrifying, <laughs> even coming from a past recruiter. It's it's hard. So the more that we can make that a better experience for all candidates, the better. Okay, that's great. So selling the value of your different perspective. I love the example of people who have who are neurodiverse, but have sort of a superpower in their concentration and being able to find errors in code. That's really good. So I think the point I want to kind of reiterate that you made, which was so valuable was really understanding what is special about you, and knowing how to talk about that and be really upfront in an interview process with what makes you unique and therefore is going to make you a great fit for the role. So, all right, what would be your third step? Yeah, this one, I I like this. This third step is to be a champion and to advocate. That's something that I've learned in, in my career is be an ally and an advocate. So for yourself and for others. And I would say that help it helps everybody because organizations need people who can help break down silos and barriers and stereotypes. As a diversity and inclusion professional, I'm one person and I bring my own unique identities to the table, but I don't, I can't effectively represent your identities. And so we have to all be in this together to not only provide representation, but education so that people are more aware of their biases and stereotypes and, and again, see the value in diversity and in inclusion. So you can, you can do this by including things like on your LinkedIn profile about, you know, things that you're passionate about. An example of that is there's an employee who, works within SAS and, you know, her job has nothing to do with diversity, but 
her LinkedIn profile is autism advocate. And I thought that was so powerful. It's not even her job, but she is touched by autism as someone in her family. And it's something she's really, really proud of and wants to be an ally and an advocate for the autism community. So that's one example of a way that you can, you know, advocate or, you know, share content on on LinkedIn about, you know, articles that matter to you and why they matter. Because employers do see that when they're looking at candidates, they're going to your LinkedIn profile. They want to see what companies you're following, what organizations you're following, what causes you care about. All of these things are really what recruiters are looking at and then hiring managers for sure. And following organizations that are talking about diversity and being a part of that conversation is also a way that you can be an advocate and an ally. And in addition, when you're going to networking events and career fairs and ask companies the tough questions and provide your perspective and why it's important to you. And if you feel comfortable sharing your story, that's great. But again, being that champion and that ally is something that really is a breath of fresh air for employers is when you're looking at tons of resumes and tons of LinkedIn profiles and you get to kind of learn more about who people are and the things that matter to them. That is really powerful. And um, seeing that you're passionate about that and you're able to able to bring in those passions and things that matter to you into your professional world is really important. So sometimes I think people dial that stuff down a little because maybe they'll get an interviewer who really gets it and appreciates that they're an advocate for a cause like that. But maybe they'll get somebody mm, who doesn't, right? Who's kind of like, I don't understand that. Or why is that a big deal? And so I think sometimes people are dialing that stuff back, taking that stuff off their resume or their LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So I think it's nice that you said that's kind of a breath of fresh air to see somebody with that out there. It is. And I think it's a balance, right? Especially for a job seeker. I mean, you still have to present professionally. And that is one thing I'll... I'll hone in on pretty hard is while you are job seeking and job searching, I mean, again, you're you are marketing for yourself. So you want to make sure that your your brand is authentic, but it's also what employers are looking for in as far as whatever their culture is. So if you're wanting to work in an industry that's maybe a little bit more buttoned up, that's just the culture of the industry, then maybe when you're interacting with those companies, you need to present a little bit more buttoned up than um, maybe for other industries where it's a little bit more relaxed. Like for example, tech versus banking. That's just one example. But I would say talking to people in the field and in the industry and in the jobs that you're interested in to understand kind of what that culture's like and ask them, do you feel that you can be your authentic selves and and why? And then doing that research before going in for an interview will help you better understand how much can I present during that interview, that initial interview or LinkedIn or when I'm engaging with hiring managers from that industry. We'll give you an idea of finding what that balance should be. Yep. Okay, good, good, good. So I I couldn't let this topic go without a mention of Matthew Schwab, who we both saw do a great TEDx talk here in Cary. And it was called How I Know Including People with Down Syndrome is a Good Thing. And Matthew has Down Syndrome himself. And he's local to our area here. And it was such a great talk. It was so wonderful to see him up there. He's so talented and so articulate. 
But he made a lot of really good points about how it's good for business to hire people with disabilities. And he started off talking about how a common question people ask each other is, so what do you do? And he said, I have friends who can't even answer that question because they have a really hard time getting hired places. So it was so heartwarming. I thought we were just talking about it before we started recording here. And and I had rewatched it again this morning and just was reminded how you simply cannot watch that and not fall in love with this guy <laughs> and just appreciate the courage that it would take anybody to get up there and do a TED Talk and the preparation that has to go into that. So super impressive yeah, to watch him do that. Matthew is amazing. And I was sharing earlier that I've watched his TED Talk so many times. The recording, and I had the pleasure of getting to see it live about three times during rehearsals. And every time I was in the front row and I was either laughing with a huge smile on my face or in tears. And it's because I, I understand that there that is the struggle for a lot of people, people with disabilities and people with Down syndrome. My aunt, for example, who lives with my parents, she she's never held a job and she never will be able to hold a job. And so to be able to see someone who's advocating that this is good for business and why it's good for business and being being that vocal champion, right, going back to step number three is advocating for um, himself, Matthew, and the things that he's done and for his own peers is just so powerful. And if you haven't seen it, I highly encourage you to look up Matthew Schwab's talk. And I was wearing his Include shirt this morning, so make sure you pick up one of those as well to support inclusion for people of all disabilities. Yeah, fantastic. I have to get my shirt. (laughs) Another thing I wanted to mention was I googled famous CEOs with disabilities. And I've heard stories here and there about them, but it was really incredible to see a very expansive list Mm -hmm. of really amazing people who have really succeeded in a big, big way, despite some learning differences or disabilities. And just a few of them, Richard Branson from Virgin, who is dyslexic and talks about that quite a bit. And he's such a character and obviously (laughs) such a massive success. And and attributes a lot of his success to overcoming some challenges that he had. So I thought that was really cool. John Chambers, former CEO of Cisco, is also dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And here's what I liked that I did not know. Paul Orfelia, who was the CEO and founder of Kinko's, which Kinko's was acquired by FedEx in 2004. And they did all, it was all the copy stores. And so Paul called his learning disabilities learning opportunities. Mm. And he talked about how in school when he was younger and had to work on team projects, he would always volunteer to be the guy who made the photocopies (laughs) so that he wouldn't have to be the guy who did all the writing because that was so hard for him. And, and, but look what he did with his ability to be the guy who did the photocopying. He built a multi-billion dollar business on that. So (laughs) good for him. And David Nealman, who's the CEO of JetBlue and has ADHD. So, so many really cool examples of people who succeed with their learning differences and their yeah. disabilities. And I thought that was really great. So, yeah, I think people that have had some sort of adversity, you know, in their lives and having to be resilient, whether it's a disability or economic background or whatever it is, right? Having that, having to, 
overcome some sort of challenge or struggle, I think is what makes people stronger. And I think where some people struggle and they come up with a solution to overcome, it makes them... like catapults them, right? And inspires them to be their their best selves. And in this case, running a company is I'm sure because of the challenges and adversity they've faced and due to resiliency has helped make these individuals so successful is having to to figure out a new way of doing things that sometimes can be even better. Yep, absolutely. Very cool. All right, so let's wrap up our three steps of leveraging your uniqueness as your competitive advantage in your job search. And the first step was lean into your uniqueness and be your authentic self from the get-go. So I thought that was a great point because you mentioned that you really don't want to end up working somewhere where they don't understand you and value all of you. So that was a really good one. Step two was sell the value of your different perspective. And Danielle talked to us about knowing what about your difference really makes you special. And Danielle talked to us about knowing what about your difference makes you really special and will make you an extra great contributor in the role that you're interested in getting and being able to sell that. And then finally, the value of being a vocal champion. And we talked about Matthew Schwab, who's a great example of a vocal champion. And there are many others, I think, who are out there in the workplace and are doing a great job of speaking up for the value of diversity and inclusion. And Danielle, you're one of those people. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing all of your experience and your knowledge around this important space. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun and um, very excited to share on my experiences and hopefully in, inspire others that are on the job search or others that are you know, interested in diversity and inclusion as a profession because I didn't think I was qualified to do it. You might be thinking the same thing, but I'm a living testament that if you follow your passion and make it your purpose, then the sky's the limit. Absolutely. And Danielle, by the way, I think you're clearly way more qualified for things than you (laughs) give yourself credit for. Well, 10 years later. (laughs) Um, So listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Get a Job, Here's How. Now that you know how to leverage uniqueness as your competitive advantage, go do it. I believe in you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it.